excuse me, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing in a verse-by-verse study of this great epistle of Ephesians, and we're in the midst of a parenting series that I've entitled Raising Kids Without Raising Cain. I told you guys I stole that title from Martha Peace, who who I first heard that from many years ago. She was writing some uh, information on parenting, and uh, so that's where we're at. We're on uh, sermon number three, and uh, we are in verse four, examining what it means to provoke your children to anger. So why don't we read verses one through four just to kind of wrap our minds around this entire context of parenting and obeying our parents, and then we'll dive into our time together here this morning. So Ephesians chapter six, verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this text of Scripture. Thank you for reminding us of the awesome responsibility that as parents we are to not provoke our children to wrath, but rather raise them up, nourish them, bring them up under the teaching, the discipline, and the instruction of the Lord. Father, thank you for reminding us in this passage that we are to obey our moms and dads. We're to honor them with the right attitude. So I pray, God, as we continue to look into this text, God, that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would give us conviction, that you would help us to find a balance, that you would help us to be faithful parents. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, being a parent truly is a great blessing. There are far a few things that are as rewarding as being a parent. But being a parent is also a great challenge. And every day as a parent, you know, you're trying to make a hundred decisions about how your day ought to be going at home. And so being a parent really does change everything. And not only does being a parent one time change everything, it changes as you add to the family. If God's given you a child, it changes. But if he's given you two or three or more children, it kind of changes every time you add to the fold, so to speak, as all being blessings from God. Here are some differences that happen as you add to your family. There's changes in your clothes. First baby, you began wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy. Second baby, you wear your regular clothes for as long as possible. Third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. The baby's name, how you name your baby changes. First baby, you pour over baby name books and practice pronouncing and writing all of the possible combinations of your favorite name. Second baby, you ask your family and a few close friends for suggestions. Third baby, you open a name book, close your eyes, and point your finger somewhere on the page. Preparing for birth changes. First baby, you practice your breathing religiously. Second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember that last time, breathing didn't do a thing. (laughs) Third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. The way you clothe your baby changes. First baby, you pre-wash your newborn's clothes, color coordinate them, and fold them neatly and put them away in the baby's dresser. Second baby, you check to make sure that the clothes are clean, And you only discard the ones with the darkest stains. Third baby, 
boys can wear girl onesies, right? <laughs> Your worries change. First baby, at the first sign of distress, a whimper or a frown, you pick up the baby. Second baby, you pick up the baby when she wails so loud that it threatens to wake your newborn or your firstborn. And then third baby, you put in earplugs at night to help you sleep better. <clears throat> your activities change. First baby, you, make, uh, you take your baby to baby gymnastics, baby swing, and baby story hour. Second baby, you take your baby to baby gymnastics. Third baby, you take your baby to the supermarket and the dry cleaner. Things at home change. First baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. Second baby, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the baby. Third baby, you spend a little bit of time every day hiding from your children. <laughs> Going out changes. First baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five times. Second baby, just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave a number with the babysitter. Third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if they see blood. <laughs> well, having babies changes life, doesn't it? Changes how we parent, changes how we do things, and we all understand why these things are so funny, because we've all been there, right? You've been there where you're growing and learning as a parent of what to do. And I want to remind us that we started off this series by talking about where our goal is to, to, to raise our kids without raising Cain. And we kind of looked back in Genesis 4, and we were reminded about what Cain did that was so bad. He, he did the wrong thing. He responded the wrong way. He ignored the Lord's warning. He committed a grave sin, and then he lied about what he had done. None of us in this room want to raise Cain, right? I, I've been talking to you about, first of all, the, the way to, to, to not raise Cain, uh, you know, if there's a, a, a chance in that happening, the idea is that you first have to be born again. You, you got to be born again uh, by the Spirit of God so that you can understand how to raise your kids with biblical principles that not only focus on the outer man, but that focus on the heart. And so as parents, our goal isn't to just put together a whole behavioral manual of how kids obey externally, but we also want to tell our kids about the gospel so that they can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, with all that being said, you might be doing your very best to teach your kids the gospel and to teach them how to obey mom and dad in a God-honoring way, and it may be that you're still raising a cane. No matter what you do right, no matter how hard you pray for the gospel to transform your child's life, it's possible that there may be a cane in your house that you're raising right now. You say, well, Adam, that's not too comforting. You're telling us about a lot of biblical principles, and you're telling me one of my kids may end up to be like Cain. Well, look, if you don't recognize that, then you're placing too much emphasis on you and not enough emphasis on God. It is about the sovereign grace of God to bring salvation to your kids. And so you can't for one minute look at other parents who have a cane on their hands and say, well, they must not be doing their job. Well, if they really spent more time in the Word, that kid would have come to Christ. Oh, look at that family. They have grown children who aren't saved. They probably didn't even, you know, teach them the Bible. God forbid that you would ever judge another parent who happens to have a cane in their midst. 
Only God can save a lost child. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean we can't come alongside other parents and say, look, we want to help you do a better job raising your kids under the teaching and admonition of the Lord. We love you, and we know parenting's tough, and so we want to help you. Absolutely, that's fair game. We want to help each other parent well. But you just got to understand that just because the goal of parenting is to raise kids without raising Cain doesn't mean it's a guarantee. And there's no better place to learn that lesson than Isaiah chapter 1. Why don't you turn there with me quickly? You got to see this just to put what I've just said in a biblical context. Isaiah chapter 1, we know the prophet Isaiah reports here as speaking for God. Here, something very important for us to learn and consider in light of what I've just said. Isaiah 1.1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You know what this text tells us? God raised kids who rejected him. God raised children, according to verse 2, for the Lord has spoken, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. If you have a cane on your hands, in some ways, you're experiencing the same experience that God reveals to us in his holy word, that he too had children that he reared and that he brought up, but they rebelled against him. So we need to be making sure we're giving a little bit of grace to one another, that as we struggle in our parenting and we struggle with kids coming to Christ and we understand that some will rebel and some will walk away, that we place the emphasis where it needs to be placed, and that's that we just leave that up to the sovereign will of God. At the same time, we strive to pray for our kids and to teach them to look to Christ. And sometimes the best thing that you can do as a parent is just to spend time on your knees praying that God would awaken their dead heart to the gospel. Because no matter how much work you do in your parenting effort, if the grace of God does not awaken a dead heart, they will never know Christ. And so just understand that just as much as we're emphasizing principles, we need to be emphasizing prayer. Just as much as we're emphasizing what to do and what not to do, we need to beg God to save our children and to help them look to Christ. And so what we want to be doing is pointing our kids to Christ and trusting Him with the results. And one of the best ways to point our kids to Christ is not by telling them, but by showing them. It's the old adage that more is caught than taught. You get the idea that you can tell your kids all day that they need to love Christ and they need to obey. But if they see you not loving Christ and you not obeying, it's not going to lend way for your kids to follow suit. 
And so the idea is, as godly parents, we need to make sure that we're watching our own lives, that we're being filled with the Spirit of God on any given day. And so that means if you want to have godly kids, you've got you to rest in the, in the Lord's sovereignty and His grace that. But if you want godly kids, you need to make sure you're being godly. If you want obedient kids, you need to make sure you're being obedient. If you want kids who do not get angry, then you need to make sure you're not provoking them to anger. Which is exactly what this text is about, that fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Now, here in the context of Ephesians chapter 6, we're in the greater context of what it means to walk in wisdom. In fact, if you'll back up and look at chapter 5, verse 15, this kind of kicks off the section that we're in in this epistle where it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so now we're talking about all kind of ways to apply biblical wisdom, what that looks like in understanding the will of God, what that looks like by not being drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What that looks like in verses 19 through 21 about singing and hymns and uh, songs and spiritual songs to one another. What that looks like in marriage. We're talking about spirit-filled marriages, our marriages where the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church, and the, and, the, and the wife submits to the husband as unto the Lord. And now we're talking about spirit-filled parenting. And spirit-filled parenting is about parents raising their children under the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but it's also about not provoking your kids to anger. It's about kids, according to 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And we talked about how this verse applies to everybody in this room, that you are a child. If you're under your parents' authority, that you are to obey them in the Lord, for this is right. And it's not only with your behavior, but it's also with your attitude. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. So we're to obey them not only with our actions, but with our attitude. And we're to honor our father and mother until the day they die. So while at some point you may come out of their immediate authority, there's still the idea, I'm going to honor them until the day I die. And if we obey them and honor them, the Bible tells us that, that it will go well with us and we'll live long on the, in the land. And so part of this whole ending here to children and parents is where we are in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I told you that that word fathers, I believe, addresses the head of the house, the spiritual leader, the dad, but it also, in, in a sense, includes mothers. We're not just singling out that this is only for fathers and moms get a pass, but dads and moms should heed verse 4. In fact, fathers, that word for fathers in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23, is translated as parents, not as fathers. And in the context, obviously, it's children obey your parents in the Lord. So while in one sense, the dad ought to be more responsible since he's the spiritual leader, moms need to heed too the fact that we would not be provoking our children to anger. And so we started off last week by giving you 10 ways that you could do that. There are more than 10. You could easily come up with 100 ways. All right, but the idea is I put together 10 ways that you could provoke your child to anger so that you would avoid these tendencies in your life. Number one, or A in your outline, and these first five were filled out because this is what we did last week, but we talked about you could provoke your child to anger by overprotection. And we talked about being wise, about not overprotecting your child from having any experience in life. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be a parent who overguards everything that they do so that they never learn what pain is about and how to fall down and how to, how to have their feelings hurt in the world. It's just going to happen. You, there's no way you can protect your child from every experience. In fact, why would you even want to? 
in general wisdom, you want to have your kids have a little bit of a balanced upbringing and even experience trials and difficulties so they can grow. In fact, did you know that after a windstorm, only the sturdiest trees remain standing? The harsher the wind, the stronger a tree must be in order to withstand it. Trees that survive the most adverse weather conditions have developed deep roots and stout trunks. So I'm just saying sometimes it's good to let a kid fall so that you can help them grow through it. We also talked about last week that we want to be careful not to give them too much freedom. The pendulum could swing on the other side, and we let our kids do whatever they want. Well, that's not helpful, right? You want to be careful that you are monitoring their behavior and that you're being careful to make wise decisions. So you want to give them some freedom, but not too much freedom. You you, you want to give them some wiggle room, especially when it comes to things that are not a sin issue. I mean, are are you a parent who's going to let your kid climb a tree? Are you a parent who's going to let your kid ride the bike down the road? Are you a parent that if you went to the Grand Canyon, do you tie all of your kids up to a rope and make them walk 100 feet away from the edge? Or are you the type of parent who, you know, lets your kids go up right to the edge with no supervision? Well, both would be a little bit silly, right? You don't want to tie them up. Hopefully, you're not wanting to do that, right? But neither are you going to be like, kids, run and go play. Enjoy the outdoors. I mean, you're going you're gonna to be there with them. And some parents, I've been to the Grand Canyon with our kids a few times, and I see some parents who are like, you know, got them all tied together over here, and I see other parents who, who maybe are a little bit too loose. And we, we just try to do what we're comfortable with, which is basically I can tell if my wife is tightening up or she's comfortable, then I'm doing a good job because I, I tend to get them over there. Hey, kids, come check this out, you know. But you got to hold on to them, right? we gotta, we got to be wise. And I'm just saying there's a spectrum of that about where we're comfortable and, and not comfortable. And we need to be given grace to each other about how different parents handle that. But when it comes to spiritual issues, that's where we want to be careful. We're not just giving them a lot of freedom, right? When, when it comes to so many issues that just talk about wisdom, maybe there's a lot of room for freedom because there's a spectrum. But when it comes to spiritual issues, we, we better all be on the same page. We better be disciplining sin, Right? We, we better be, uh, be loving parents, as Hebrews 12 talks about, because it's, it's the father who loves his son who will discipline his child. And we're going to look more at Hebrews 12 next week as we have a full treatise of what it means to discipline your children and instruct them in the Lord. But for now, let's just say that the, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So we can't just give such a long rope that the kids have all the freedom in the world They need to be uh, appropriately confronted with the truths of of Scripture. Moving on, the third thing that we talked about is by showing your kids favoritism, showing favoritism to certain kids. And we talked about how in Genesis 27 that Isaac seemed to show favoritism towards Esau and Rebekah with Jacob. I mean, Rebekah so much so that she pulled Jacob aside and said, here, why don't you wear some of Esau's clothes and I'll kill, you know, we'll kill this goat and I'll make it taste like wild game. And they deceived Isaac. Well, that didn't work out too well for the brothers, right? And they want to kill each other. And then as Jacob leaves, running from Esau, later his name is changed to Israel, and then he uh, has 12 sons, and one of his sons' name is Joseph, and it was Joseph that he had special favoritism toward because he was born to Rachel, his, his favorite, and so uh, he gave him a coat of many colors. Well, how did that turn out? Well, his brothers wanted to beat him up and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And so obviously from those biblical examples, you cannot be showing favoritism to a certain child. They are all your children. They're God's children, and you're a steward of them. And you want to show them grace and love and kindness as appropriately and as balanced as possible. 
A fourth way to provoke your child to anger would be by neglecting your child. We talked about that from 2 Samuel 14, where Absalom had sinned against David, and so he'd been ostracized out of the kingdom, and then he'd been brought back in. But for two years, he was not able to enter into the king's presence. And it seems like sometimes we neglect our children. It could be because we're angry at them or we haven't had a resolved conflict. So if that's you, that's something to definitely work on. You want to bring them back into a good relationship through hopefully biblical uh, reconciliation. But also you might be neglecting your child. A different way to neglect your child would just be like you get too focused at work. And you get too focused on your hobbies. And you don't have time for your kids anymore because it's all about you and what you want to do with your time. And so we reminded each other last week that we need to spend time with our kids and develop interest with them. And I had a wise man tell me years ago, hey, hey, Adam, you need to develop as many commonalities with your kids as possible, even outside of spiritual things. Because one day that spiritual road may be clogged up. But if you have other roads and other venues into the heart of your child through certain hobbies or memories or family time together, that hopefully you can continue that relationship with the child because you've invested in them, not only from a gospel standpoint, but from all these other standpoints, so that the gospel might be magnified in the way you love and care for your child. So we don't want to neglect our child. We want to spend time with them. And then E, or the fifth way to provoke your children to anger, was by chastising them in front of others. You want to be careful with this one. There may be times that you need to confront your kid in front of others because you're not always in a, in a private environment at home. But we did look at that principle from Jesus in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So the first step of church discipline is just doing confrontation, believer, with the person who has offended you. And you want to do it in private or alone. And I would say the most appropriate way to, to do this would be maybe take your kids to the bedroom or to the bathroom and sit them down. And you have a one-on-one -on -one talk with them. And it may be that you end up disciplining them. And then you work through that. And then you come back out. But you can't do that every time because sometimes you're at somebody else's house. Which I guess you could still go into their bathroom. That we, We've done that from time to time. But what I'm saying is sometimes you might just give a, it depends on the degree of the offense. So if it's just like, you know, a few things, you can correct them, correct them, and correct them, either, even in front of others, kindly and gently. But there are the occasions you need to get to a private place and have a serious confrontation and address it maybe with the rod. You get what I'm saying? So I'm saying sometimes you can confront them in front of others. Sometimes it needs to be done alone. It depends on the measure of the offense and kind of how, how much work you're going to do in that instance. All right, and this moves us up to today, all right? So now we're looking at, at the, uh, the sixth way. Sixth way to provoke your kids to anger would be this, F, by not letting a child be a child. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is couched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which are two chapters on spiritual gifts. And in the midst of these explanations on spiritual gifts, this is what we call the love chapter, right? Where we're told how love is patient, love is kind. That how love bears all things, endures all things, that love never fails. And then he goes on to talk a little bit about this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, where Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So I understand this is not in a parenting context. Okay? Again, it's in the context of spiritual maturity and as you grow in Christ, you stop acting like a child because now you've grown up in Christ to be complete, a mature man. However, 
Paul does acknowledge children act like children, and adults need to act like adults. It's just acknowledging. It's a common truth that children are going to be like children. And I would just say sometimes it's good for a kid to be a kid. Don't expect them all to be grown up all the time. They're children. They go through phases of life. Enjoy each phase. Commentator William Barclay tells of the testimony of the distinguished painter Benjamin West. He writes this, One day Benjamin West was young, and his mother went out for a moment, leaving him in charge of his younger sister Sally. In his mother's absence, he discovered some bottles of colored ink and decided to paint his sister's portrait. He made an awful mess. But when his mother came back, she said nothing about the terrible ink stains. Instead, she picked up the piece of paper on which he had been working and exclaimed, Why, this must be Sally. Then she stooped down and kissed him. Benjamin West used to say, My mother's kiss made me a painter. Appreciate the story. I just think it's a helpful reminder of sometimes we're more concerned about the mess than just letting the kid be the kid. I mean, I'll be the first to say, when I, when I show back up, if the kid's made a mess, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that sometimes. And we, and we should be, right? I'm not saying we should just let them have at it. And every time you leave the house, they turn it into a pigsty. <clears throat> but I am saying that children are children, and we need to let them sometimes paint with watercolors or play with Play-Doh or run out in the backyard until their hearts are content. Let them have a little freedom, <clears throat> right? Letting a kid be a kid means sometimes you're going to have spilled milk at the table. Right? How many times have you been in a restaurant where a kid spilled something and the father got angry and chewed that kid out in public for spilling their drink? I mean, it happens. I mean, it's one thing if the kid is horse playing around and they spill it, then I'm probably going to let them have it, right? But if it's just an honest accident, then give some grace. It's okay. Don't be so quick to get angry just because they spilled something. A child will be a child. Look, I'm all for helping children mature, but in the appropriate time that makes sense. I remember my, uh, growing up, my dad was a good worker. He grew up on a farm in South Georgia. He had a desire to train his kids to work hard from an early age. And <clears throat> so he uh, started a side business uh, scouting cotton. So in the South, you walk around through cotton fields in the summer looking for bow weevils and uh, worms that are eating the fruit. And so he wanted his boys to get involved with this business with him. <clears throat> so when I was 12 years old, he said, hey, Adam, I want you to come out in the cotton fields with me this summer. I'm going to teach you to work like a man. I said, hey, Dad, could I have one more year as a boy? And I appealed to him. I was 12 years old. I like one more summer just to play, hang out with my friends. I'll do that next year. And he granted it to me. I had the best summer ever when I was 12 years old. Since then, I've been working hard every summer since. <clears throat> now, again, different parents handle it differently. I'm just saying that within reason, you've got to be able to help uh, wisely move through letting your child be a child. Of course we want them to grow up, but not in such a way that you're so harsh on them and that you're always on them that they can't experience the joys of being a child. And I would just say on this point as well, we've got to agree to disagree that there's various levels of that. I mean, you may see some parents babying their kids too much, and you say, may see other kids, you know, who have their kids doing Latin from four years old and up, and it's like, look, it's like to each his own. You know, just make sure you're thinking through how to do it. But certainly, we want to be gracious with one another in how we parent. 
We want to be kind then. We want to uh, uh, let different families do things differently with some of these things where there's a little bit of wiggle room to, to parent just a little bit differently. But we want to make sure that we are, at, at, at within reason, letting our child be a child. At the same time, you want to teach that child what it means to be a young man, a young woman, as they're growing up for the Lord. Well, let's move on to the next one if we can. Another way. The seventh way to provoke your child to anger is this, by constantly pushing your child to achieve more. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 12. You need to be careful about constantly pushing your child to achieve more. 1 Kings chapter 12 is, a, is an interesting text about the history of Israel after Solomon had, uh, had died and, and finished leading the kingdom. You know, you had King Saul King David, King Solomon, that's all what we call the United Kingdom. After Solomon, his son was Rehoboam. And so Rehoboam was obviously the next in line to take the kingdom. But a big thing happened with Rehoboam, and that's where the kingdom divided. So you had a united kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. Under Rehoboam, the kingdom split. And the reason it split, partly, is due to this text of 1 Kings 12, where the title in my Bible there says, Rehoboam's Folly. Rehoboam's folly. What is it that Rehoboam did that was folly? Well, King Rehoboam, who is now the king of Israel, this is Solomon's son, had a choice to make about how he was going to run his kingdom. And so he's getting wisdom and input from different counselors about whether he should continue his father's way of being a king or should he be a king in a different way. And picking up in verse 10, this is what we read. So Rehoboam's seeking counsel. The older people told him, hey man, uh, just do the same thing your father did. Be reasonable with the people. But the younger man gave him this counsel, 1 Kings 12.10. And the young man who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam, who was another leader in the kingdom, Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam, that's the king, on the third day, the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old man had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so what we see here is that Rehoboam chose the harder route, if you will. He did what the young man said, and he was even harder on them than his father Solomon had been. So what happened? They rebelled. And they said, we're not going to follow this. And Jeroboam took 10 tribes up north and became the leader of the divided kingdom from the northern 10 tribes. And then Rehoboam continued there in Judah. So what, what am I saying happened? I, I think that he was too hard on them. He was demanding things for them that wasn't appropriate. So he lost his kingdom. Be careful as a parent that you're not demanding such things on your kids that they've always got to be the best at everything. That they've got to be you know, the best baseball player and the best ballet dancer. They've got to get first in all the competition. I mean, you've all been out at public uh, games with the kids, and you see that parent who's just getting a little bit too hot under his collar about either the fact his kid's winning or the fact that his kid's not doing good, and he's chewing them out. 
I mean, I cringe when I see that. I'm like, dude, lighten up. Like, sometimes kids strike out. It's okay. I think Bo- Babe Ruth struck out a bunch, right? But he hit a lot of homework. But, you know, the idea is just, it's just going to happen. I mean, I even read this week about a, a pastor who visited a young woman who was confined to a padded cell, and she was in a state of catatonic shock. She was a professing Christian and had been raised in a Christian family, but her mother had ceaselessly pushed her to be the most popular, the most beautiful, and the most successful girl in school. She became the head cheerleader, homecoming queen, and later a model. But the pressure to excel became too great, and she had a complete mental collapse. After she was eventually released from the hospital, she went back into the same artificial and demanding environment. And when again she found that she could not cope, she committed suicide. She had summed up her frustration when she said one day, I don't care what it is I do, it never satisfies my mother. Well, certainly you don't want to be a parent who's over-pressuring your child in every occurrence to be the very best at everything. I'm, I'm for encouraging kids to do their best, not to be the best. Right? I'm for encouraging our kids to be a witness for Christ, not to win every contest. I'm for encouraging our children to do what they do for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. So certainly we want to help our kids succeed, but the question is, what is success? And success is walking with God. And we've already talked about only God can save our kids, but it's us pointing their kids to God and them growing in their faith, God willing, in a God-honoring way. Now, again, if my kids are, are you know, not doing well in school and, and they're, they're making B's or C's or D's and E's and F's, you know, towards the lower end of that, I'm going to work with them. I'm not going to be like, you know, hey, don't worry about it. We always ask our kids, are you doing your very best? Are you doing it in the Lord's strength? And if they're doing their very best in the Lord's strength and they pull home a grade that's maybe not the top of their class, I might be like, hey, I'm happy that you're doing your best. And we might choose to come alongside them to really work in those areas they could improve, but I'm still going to be encouraging them if I know they're really giving it their best shot, right? So we want to make sure as parents that we're not overbearing in those ways. Let's move on to the eighth way to provoke your kids to anger could be this, H, by not hearing their side of the story. By not hearing their side of the story. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs 18, 17. It's a very common biblical counseling verse that we use. You need this in every occurrence in life when there's a conflict that arises because you're tempted to land on one side of that conflict. And this verse reminds us we need to hear both sides. So in Proverbs 18, 17, it says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And it just means, again, when you hear that one side, you think you're going to go with that one. And so sometimes in raising kids, we might hear one side and I can't tell you how many times, you know, it's like I'm I'm about to maybe discipline one of my kids because I think they did something wrong, maybe to one of their younger siblings. And then after after I I listen to what happened and I hear the rest of the story, I'm like, "Uh oh, I think they both need discipline. Actually, I was just going to discipline the older one, but I didn't know the younger one had done that. You know, I'm just saying it, it, how frustrating for kids just to make a decision that you're going to spank them no matter what without at least saying, hey, did you do this? 
why did you do this? What were you thinking when you did this? This is how you're trying to get to the heart. You're trying to examine them. And if you just rush in there and they want to talk and you don't let them talk at all and you just start bringing the rod down, then you gotta be, that, that's, that's got to be infuriating. You'd like to confirm from them. Now, be careful that you don't let them pull the wool over your eyes. You know, hey, Johnny, did you eat the cookie? You know, if you know he ate the cookie, you still got to go after him, right? But the idea is you want to at least give him a chance to talk about what happened. I would say even in the culture that we live in, you know, when your child gets in trouble at church or in school or if they're at somebody else's house and you get a bad report from the babysitter, you still want to listen to your child's side of the story, right? I mean, while, while, while I think our culture is now, you know, all the parents are taking up for their kids and they're telling other parents, my kid would never do that. Or they're telling the teacher, my kid's just fine. It's your problem. You know, that's where our culture is going. I, I'm going to land on the side with the authority, but I'm still going to listen to my kid. I'm still going to say, hey, did you do that? Tell me what happened when you were over at so-and-so's house or when you were at school or this or that. We should still talk to them and just hear them out. See, see what they have to say. Understand the situation best you can. Know that you're listening to them and you really do want to hear what they're saying, but you're still going to render justice if needed, which, which likely would end in some type of discipline or going back and remedying the situation by seeking forgiveness and apologizing to, to those that, that, that brought up the offense to you. But the idea is that we got to make sure we're listening to our kids. Look, this isn't just something Proverbs 18, 17 is not applied only with adults. So you want to listen to the other side of the story. You want to listen to your kid, and you want to discern whether or not what they're saying, you know, is valid. But you certainly want to give them the, 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 the benefit of the doubt of at least hearing them out. The ninth way to provoke your kids to anger is this. I, by not listening to their desires and honoring them when appropriate. Sometimes, sometimes we're so concerned about not having a child-centered home that we have a parent-centered home. What we really want is a God-centered home. That's so what I'm saying is that while we don't want to give our, into our every kid's desire, that passage in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. My question is, does that apply only between two adults? Or could that apply to your child? Again, I'm not saying prefer every desire your kid has, or you'll be eating ice cream three meals a day. But I am saying that I believe that a child is created in the image of God, and they deserve our respect and our love. They are not cattle or slaves. So what I'm saying is you want to just treat them as a person and hear them out, and it may be that from time to time you choose to prefer them and their desires. It is not wrong for a parent to decide to defer to that child. You say, well, Adam, how, how does that play out? Well, consider letting them pick an activity for the evening, even if it's playing Monopoly again for the fourth time this week. Right? Consider letting them pick what they want to wear. Uh-oh, well, then you've just given the reins over to the family. Now the kids can do whatever they want. I didn't say that. There are times you're going to tell your kid, no, you're wearing this. We're going to church. You will wear this. We're going to get our family picture taken. You will wear this. But there's other times you might get lighten up a little bit and say, hey, yeah, I, I, you, uh, all right, you can wear that. I mean, from time to time, you just got to do it, or, you, or, or I think you're being a little bit imbalanced. Uh, again, I'm not saying that you give in to their every desire and everything. I am saying from time to time, you need to prefer your child's desire over your own. 
you don't want your kids to be so selfish, then you don't be so selfish. If you don't want your kids to get their way all the time, then you don't get your way all the time. If you don't want your kids, or if you want your kids to consider others, then may they learn to consider others by watching you consider others. They need to see you self-sacrificing some. Again, all within reason. You're the parent. You have the prerogative to decide where that fits and where it doesn't fit. Just saying they need to see it in your life sometimes. It'll help them understand that you're also sacrificing and wanting to honor them and prefer them over your own desires at times. Lastly, last way you could provoke your kids to anger, at least in this, in this particular message. Again, I told you you could find 100 ways. I'm just giving you 10. But it's by abusing them physically or verbally. Now, certainly this should just go without say, saying, right? We, we don't want to abuse our kids physically. I tried long and hard to find one reference in the scripture that clearly taught how parents abuse their kids. And I, and I had trouble finding one. Definitely Leviticus 18.21 applies where it says, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And so that's the example there uh, where parents were tempted to offer their children as a sacrifice to a false god named Molech. Obviously, you don't want to abuse your kids by having them killed for a false god. And yet that's happening in our culture every day in abortion where people are having their kids killed in the name of the God of comfort. So we have to understand that you cannot and you do not have the right to abuse the life of your child at any age from conception on. As a child, as they're growing up or a teenager, you don't have the right to abuse them physically. So we're going to, again, give a full treatment of that with what it means to discipline your children in the instruction of the Lord next week. But let's just say you're not to physically abuse them if you're disciplining them. There is a way to discipline your child physically without abusing them physically. So abusing a child, pushing them around the house, you know, showing them your strength too much. I mean, there are times you have to show strength because you can have a toddler that's out of control and you just kind of kind of hold them. But if you're pushing your weight around the house as your kids are getting older physically, that's not a healthy situation. So we don't want to be abusing them physically, but we certainly don't want to abuse them verbally. Proverbs 29, 22 says, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. How many of us as parents, maybe while we would never consider physical abuse, we abuse them verbally. We get angry at them. We yell at our kids. You say things that aren't kind just because you're bigger and stronger than them. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was putting the boys to bed, and I had promised I would uh, play one game of Mario Kart with them. That's the Wii, for those of you who don't know, a little video game. So I promised I'm going to play this one game with you guys, putting you to bed. My daughter had asked for some help with a project at school. So I'm in there with the boys, and she comes in and, and asks, can I help her out? And I said, I can't come right now. I'm putting the boys to bed. Now, that wasn't exactly true. I mean, I, I understood what I meant by that because I was one game and we're going to bed. But to her, it was a little infuriating because I was saying something that didn't communicate it was true. And I saw on her face, you know, I, I didn't handle that the right way. And so I, I needed to go back to her and ask her to forgive me. Hey, please forgive Dad for not explaining to you what I, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, what happens in your house when your kids aren't paying attention? Are you trying to get their attention and they're not paying attention? 
So you repeat what you said, and they still don't give you their attention. So what are you tempted to do? Raise your voice, right? You're like, well, if I say it a little louder, maybe that'll get their attention. Well, look, there's a fine line between the appropriateness of raising your voice to get their attention and now getting angry. And it just takes one look at your kid's face to realize, like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I just went up too high, too many decibels here to try to get my point across because I'm actually being harsh with them instead of being kind to them. And it's tough to find that balance, right? I appreciate Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And so we've got to be careful. Look, there's nothing wrong with raising your voice in an appropriate way with authority to grab the attention of your child. But if it goes over into anger and you're yelling at them, that's wrong. And it's sinful and it's abusive speech. And you can't be that way. Too many parents confuse harshness with firmness. It's a matter of the heart that you've got to continue thinking through. How do I really speak to my kids? When they're whining, do I whine at them because they're whining? Because if you are whining at them while they're whining, that's not helping. Ephesians 4.29, we spent some time there. I'd say applies to this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Applies to children. Not you and another adult, it's you talking to your kids lovingly and respectfully and kindly and at times firmly so they know you mean business, but you can't give the excuse that it's all right now to get angry at them and to lash out at them. Well, this is the negative command about how not to provoke your kids to anger. Next week, we're going to look at the positive command, which is the second half of verse four. Again, how to bring them up to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me give you a couple of take-home points, though, as you get ready to leave today. Number one, realize that it is possible for you to do all the right things in parenting, but that you could still have a cane on your hands. You just need to acknowledge that in your own heart, that it's possible you could do all the right things with all the right heart, with all the right amount of prayer time, and it could still be that God's chosen in his sovereignty to allow you to have a cane in your midst. You need to realize that. Secondly, repent of any ways that you have provoked your kids to anger. Last week, I gave you some homework, and that was ask your spouse to share with you ways that you have a tendency to provoke your children to anger, and ask your kids of ways that you might have a tendency to provoke them to anger. Did you do your homework? Did you ask your spouse? Did you ask your kids? I did. I asked my daughter last Sunday afternoon ways that I might provoke her to anger. And she said, Dad, you provoke me to anger when you don't let me get what I want. So it gave me an opportunity to give a little teaching time about that's exactly what we're talking about. We're not saying that provoking them to anger is saying no. We're saying provoking them to anger is actually you sinning against them and how you say no or why you say no. Last application point is this, refocus your time and attention to what God has called you to do as a faithful parent. Sometimes we're so focused on our children's behavior that we forget to focus on our own. And all I'm saying is this is an opportunity for us to refocus on our parenting 
not just on their behavior, but what are we doing that honors the Lord, or what are we doing that maybe we need to to grow in grace so that we can parent in a more God-honoring way. So our goal is to raise kids without raising Cain. No guarantee that's going to happen, but next week we're going to talk about how to discipline and instruct our children in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to dive back in this text this morning and to spend time thinking through different practical applications based on biblical principles about how we as parents would not provoke our children to anger. God, we pray for your help and we pray for your grace that we would be faithful parents. God, would you help us to do it in the power of the Spirit, Spirit-filled parenting. That's what we're looking for, God, in the context here. And I pray that you would expose the areas of our deficiencies and of our own sinful hearts and that you would help us to put off some of these behaviors that provoke our children to anger. And rather, we would put on Christ-like thoughts and behavior and actions. And that you would teach us how to truly instruct, discipline our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, God. So help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow by being filled with grace towards each other. Help us to, to, to be more consistent in being faithful to adhere to these principles in your word for your glory and for our children's good. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.